You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, If you guys want to know any more about Rose, she is now YouTube famous because uh, she is uh, part of the Good News Club, and they actually had her and a few of her friends do some of the signs and dances. You guys saw her a couple weeks ago up here, and she's, uh, she's just born, born for the stage, I guess. Uh, but if you're going to want to watch that, uh, I think there's 27 views so far, but I feel like it'll be 100,000 uh, by the end of the week. Well, it's official, guys. I come before you today to just finally commit and confirm to you that I, your dear pastor, Oliver, uh, is a hoarder. I, I do. I hoard things. I was up in the attic just the other day, sweating it out, looking at all the stuff that I should be throwing away, but I can't throw it away. I can't. I go up there with the plan to throw it away, and I get hindered. I can't get past my sentiments, my nostalgia. I want to show you a couple things. Can I do a little, little show and tell? Would you throw these things away? It's hard. I can't. I mean, you tell me. Like, so I just want to show you first and foremost, this, um, this was my first Bible. It was the Bible of Marvel. And uh, I was kidding. Um, this is where I kept all of my little uh, action figures. They were three nine from back in the day. And uh, this was vintage, man. This is like before CGI. This is what a superhero should look like for all you guys that want to know, but I used to get my Batman and my Robins and all that kind of stuff, and I got this in the 80s, and you know, it's like, it might be worth money, who knows, don't throw it away, right? So yeah, um, I'm going to save my best for last, but this, uh, this is, uh, has a personal attachment to me. I wore this to the 89 Christmas Catholic pageant. I was a sheep that looked like Robin. I was like, I'll go, I was asking the director, how do you want me to play this role? like Robin but a sheep, and so I was like, there you go. So I wore this every single night and uh, wore, it to, wore it to events as well. I couldn't throw this away. This is what you call a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fanny pack, okay? They don't make, they don't make these like they used to. My dear wife was trying to tell me that this is, this is actually a purse, which is what she's trying to let me know, and I said, I don't care what you say, but I can't throw this away, and this is, this is not a purse. I'm telling you, I got tons of this stuff. It's not just like a few things. It's like everything. And last but not least, let me just show you the Holy Grail real quick. This, this is a vintage 1991 Home Alone 1 poster. Have y'all, had, have, y'all, have y'all seen this one? My mother saved me, had me save up $21, 21 weeks in a row for a dollar a week to save up for this Holy Grail right here, Macaulay Culkin a poster, which I think Kyra did say that we we're going to frame and kind of put up in one of the kids' rooms. So this thing is awesome. And uh, y'all, can, y'all can show and tell. Y'all can look at this uh, after the service. Uh, once you survive my sermon here, but um, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's hard, as boys to men said, it's hard to say goodbye to yesterday. <laughs> Is it not? It's hard, it's hard to let go. What if, what if it would, um, what if I could sell it for a million dollars and send my kids to college? I called one of the toy stores. I mean, I had a bunch of this stuff I had to take. Every year I prune and purge and I take it <clears throat> to Goodwill or whatever. They're not buying toys. I know. They say you can save it and save uh, sell it for good money and send your kids to college. You can't sell it to college because nobody wants to buy them. They don't want to buy them. I had penguins and Batmans and nobody really wanted them. I had to give some of those things away. What if my kids need it? You know, it's the saddest thing when your kids go out and buy bootcut jeans that you threw all the bootcut jeans away because you think they never be in style. And then you're so old, the style literally travels around the world and comes back again <laughs> for your kids to buy the thing for the $100 again that you bought that you, you, know, you threw away. And what if I forget? What if I forget some of the memories uh, that are attached to this possession. What if I forget where I'm coming from? It's hard uh, to leave things behind oftentimes because what if the place that I'm going is not as good as the place I'm leaving? 
And so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say something to you this morning that um, is uh, is gonna sound obvious to you, uh, but it's not easy. Uh, and that is, you can't go somewhere else if you're not willing to leave where you are. You can't do going and leaving at the same time. And so it is that um, if we really do want to be parents of the present and parent our teenage kids well, we have to let go that they're not kids anymore. And in some of the ways that we are trying to be in the moment and not live for the past, but be in the present to parent our kids, some of the very things, the tools, the resources, the frame of mind that's going to be required to be active in the present season is to celebrate but leave the past behind. And you guys in the room that have been overcomers or recovery people know that you can't be sober and hide at the same time. That in order to say yes to a a future sobriety, you have to say no to a a past and a presence of hiding and self-independence and self-reliance and pride. You can't be two places in the same time. All of us have been students at some point, and how many of you guys know that in order for you to know something you don't know, you have to admit you don't know it. You have to come into the room humble enough to say, I don't know the answer, and it's amazing that once the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so what's applied to the physical is the same as the spiritual. As a church that goes, that goes into the nations and goes to preach the gospel, we can't go to where Jesus is if we won't leave where we are. We can't have community and avoid relationships at the same time and value our self-dependence and our rugged individualism. The reason why we don't have community is not because we don't want it. It's because we love the sense of the things and the benefits of independence and individualism that we have that we can't leave where we are to go, maybe where Christ is calling us to go. We can't rest and carry self-reliance at the same time. If we believe that we're the one that is paying ourselves and earning paychecks, and we don't believe that life is a gift, then how else are we going to land except for living in a state of restlessness? We can't become people of prayer if we insist on being entertained all the time. If we can't say goodbye to the restless need to have something stimulating us all the time, then we can't be people of silence, and therefore we can't be people of prayer, and therefore you can't go with Jesus where he's calling you to go if you're not willing to leave where you are. And so we're in this middle, middle of the, or the beginning of the series in Acts chapter 3, getting back to that point, and I want to just kind of like set up shelves for the study, but if you look at the bullseye there on, on the board, the sections of the book are divided, 1 through 7, 8 through 13, and 14 and beyond, between the very call of Jesus to his disciples. The geography of bringing the witness first to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Everything in 1 through 8 is ministry to Jerusalem. And so what you're seeing in 1 through 8 as you read it at home, or we study it on Sundays, is a tale of two temples. When the Pentecost spirit fell and there was flames of, tire, uh, flames of fire above each of the believers, and they began to speak in different tongues, and many were called, and thousands were saved. We're not witnessing a magic show or publicity stunt. We're witnessing a prophecy filled. And so what Luke is trying to get at here is that the new temple, the old temple used to be buildings, but the new temple is people. We are the sacrifice, the living sacrifice. We are the priests. We are the ones who are... Are, are, are the new temples that have feet. So, so the new temple, the tale of two temples, is that the old temple used to be a building and the new temple is people. Secondly, we're going to witness the first ministry miracle outside of the thousands gathered in the devoted rhythms of a cripple. Think of to yourself. There could be so many ailments that could be healed on the first pages of the book of Acts, the prototypical healing, right? It could have been head or hands. It could have been, been legs. It could have been leprosy. But the first miracle of the book of Acts' feet, 
What is that saying other than the, second, the first temple, right, is a staying temple versus the second temple is a going temple? That the church is going to do what it's supposed to do. It's got to have feet, right? So the first temple can leave a beggar sitting at the gates day by day begging, whereas the second temple leaves people walking, moving, going. And it happens not inside the beautiful gate, if you remember. Where does it happen? The miracle happens at the outside of the gate. To say this, sad, somber, but hopeful, encouraging thing, that while the old temple will stay in Jerusalem, the new one's going, with or without it. And so there's a time and a season within this Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, when those that are going with Jesus will go, and those that won't go will have to stay. But make no doubt about it, you can't follow Jesus and stay at the same time. We are goers, not stayers. So if you're a Christian in this room, I want to remind you, like, we are not people that are stuck in the past. Jesus says in Matthew 8.22, a pretty sobering and seemingly irreverent statement to a guy who's burying his father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. I don't think that Jesus is saying we need to stop going to funerals or be irreverent to people that are passing away. What he's saying is you can't get stuck on the past. If you are a goer, necessarily, by category, you cannot be a stayer. You cannot be stuck in unforgiveness in some prison of your mind of some relationship for 10 and 20 and 30 years because that is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not to leave you stuck but to, to uncripple you, to move you forward and to go where he's calling you to go, to leave behind where you are, to go where you're supposed to go. 2 Corinthians 10 Verses 3 through 5, Paul says this within the Holy Spirit. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. The people of God are not stuck in old old theological paradigms. We're not stuck in these old ruts of our behaviors and our actions and our thoughts. If we're not seeing spiritual fruit, right, then it's not the Spirit. And so therefore, it's something to say goodbye to so we can say, open our arms wide and, and say hello to the work of the Spirit because... We are not stuck and stagnant in old thoughts and strongholds that our great-grandparents handed down to us, but we are sons and daughters of the living God, moving forward with a renewed mind. Verse 5, casting down arguments of every high place. And lastly, we are not called to be stuck in stillness and in comfiness and coziness. Matthew 4.20 says, come and follow me. Drop your nets, you fishers of men. Drop your nets and come and follow me. Drop your comforts the way you did church. That was awesome in the 90s. It's no longer awesome anymore. Drop your nets. The old ways that, you know, you're, you're, uh, you came to Christ in middle school, the way that that's happening, it's, there's a new wineskin going on. There's a new moment. There's a new thing that Jesus is doing. You've got to leave the past to go into the future. And so I want us to pay attention, most specifically, not to the feet in this passage, but I believe that what Luke is inviting us to, if we are stuck and stagnant and spiritually crippled in any way in this room, that the the real diagnostic, the reason for our crippling is not so much our feet, but our eyes. He says to that man, I don't know why you're looking at me. I've got nothing for you. The thing that you need does not come from man. It comes from the Holy Spirit. He says to that crowd and to us who are more crippled than that man spiritually, by the way, I don't know why you're staring at me as though the power of your uncrippling is in me. It's not in me. It's in the Holy Spirit. And so here, I think, is the diagnostic for why we get stuck and why Christians get stuck is because it's so easy to Set your eyes on Jesus, but over time, then begin to fix your eyes on man. It's so easy to find the powerlessness of of the unforgiveness of some leader that let you down or some church movement that turned into a monument or some religion that you're trying to leave. It's so easy to start looking at Jesus, but then drift your eyes back to man. But there's no power there. There's no power there. And those those were just vehicles to get you to the destination, which is Jesus. It's always been about 
Jesus. And so repentance is not so much just about fixing your feet and turning your feet. It's about fixing your eyes. It's leaving behind the things of the past that you can fully engage in the going of the now. So let's read about the miracle as Rose read earlier once more. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried there to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter, straight, looking straight at him, as did John, Peter says to him, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I uh, found this quote uh, from, actually, uh, I think it was like a, a, a Catholic book. It was like a story of this priest um, talking to um, one of the congregants, I guess, in the church. And uh, this guy's name is Thomas. Anyways, the Pope says, you see, I picture him like Robin Hood and the little lion that's counting the money and having all this gold within the church. And he says, you see, Thomas, the church no longer can say, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas, the congregant, says back to him, true holy father was her father, but neither can she say, now say, rise and walk. So he makes his way in verse 6, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him and walked and praised God, that he was walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and when they were filled with awe and wonder of all that had happened to him. So the general idea in this passage is that Jesus heals people. And I don't want to get up here and symbolically just tell you, yeah, you know, the ankles symbolically of your you know, metaphorical life. No, he heals ankles. And one of the directives that we need to take from these passages is that Jesus is a healer. And we can call on his name. It's almost like at a club at a bouncer, there's a certain name that you could drop that could get you into the club because your name's not good enough. That's the Jesus name. That you can call not on my name or your name, but on Jesus' name. And there is an already not yet. And some, some healings are slow and some are sudden, but we still, we don't adjust our circumstances to the promise. Wait, sorry, we don't adjust the promises of God to the circumstances we're in. We adjust the circumstances to the promises of God. Jesus is a healer, so I don't want to move past that in a general way. But on the more detailed way, I do want to point attention to the continual mentions of time. Did you see that in the passage, the 3 a.m. time or 3 in the afternoon time in the prayer? It's just like, it's almost as though on one hand in the physical, there is a continual monotonous sense of time that's going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But in this other sense, timing of this moment seems to be way more cosmic and way more spiritual than anybody else's understanding. And so there's this, this really distinction between the chronos time that's on our watch, the way that we see time, and the kairos time, the way that heaven sees time. And so there's this ticking that you hear in the story the whole time, a metronome, because we're paying attention to time, and also to the where, Jerusalem being the center of, um, of Jewish pilgrimage and the place where the heart, really the heartland and the homeland of all the festivals and all of the sacrifices and so forth all come out of Jerusalem, but it's just outside the gate, as we mentioned. And lastly, that the first healing that we ever saw from the church is a healing of the feet. And what is this saying about the tale of two temples other than, as we mentioned before, that if the church is to be a going church, if church is people on the go, then it's going to need some feet. It's going to need some feet. And the time has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news that the Spirit is in was in Jerusalem, is now in the bodies of Christ, and that the little temples with hands and feet and fire above their heads are going to make their way out, and the bus will leave the station. At some point, the Spirit has left the building, 
And the Spirit is not staying, the Spirit is going, and anyone that's staying is not going to be able to go with Jesus. So I want to share a couple of 2022 testimonies with you, just because I think the testimonies are always so encouraging. So uh, my dear friend uh, Charles uh, Gouch, many of you guys know Charles, heard, heard a story. Just, these are just kind of random stories. I, I feel like, unfortunately, Fox and CNN don't publish stories like this, and so we can get this false narrative that God's not working, but he's working way more than the stupid headlines are that want to narrate our, our lives. But um, as I understood that Charles was on an errand, and for whatever reason, he had a bit of cash on hand. I think it was like $300, and he was making his way through the car wash. Maybe you felt this before, just a nudge that you can't sometimes tell the difference between just your imagination and the Holy Spirit, that he was supposed to give the $300 to the young man that was helping him with the car. And you know how that is, like, was it a bad pizza that I ate, or was I supposed to do that, and am I being too, you know, like, lucky charmish, and, you know, you know this seems very, um, very uh, adolescent or something like that. And so he made his way through the car wash, and he missed his opportunity. You ever been in that spot? Like, you had the $300, and I missed the opportunity, and I wonder what would have happened, and maybe everything would have been different, and so forth. And lo and behold, he pulls out of the car wash. As soon as he pulls out of the car wash onto the road, he almost stops and hits the kid that he was supposed to give the car to. And so instead of giving the guy the $300, he almost ran him over. Uh, so that's, you know, also, I guess, Acts in 2022. As you can imagine, the windows rolls down, and the guy comes forward, and he's jittery. He doesn't exactly know what to say. He just... He knew what to do, but he didn't know how to do it or whatever necessarily. There's no script. And, and so he handed the money out of the window, and of course, the kid just starts weeping. And of course, this was exactly, the family was in a crisis, exactly the amount of money that they needed for the medical thing that they needed. So this is the idea. It's, it's, it's the church is on the go, that we are ready and willing and able and open and listening. We don't know necessarily step two, five, and six, but we do know this step. And this step leads to next step. I know, uh, for example, many of you guys have been praying for my dear mom, Marsha, and we'll continue to pray uh, for her healing. Um, she recently went through surgery and um, lost vision in her left eye um, through a corneal thing. And, um, and so we're just through the summer kind of readjusting and, and coping and, and relearning some things or whatever uh, together as a family. Uh, my dear wife, Kyra, was encouraged. She was driving in the phone, and my mom, she's one of these, like, if you need somebody to call Verizon and get you your money back, she's who you want. Uh, and she's real nice about it. Like, she doesn't yell at people. She just gets you on their side. Like, you know, Tom, that old Verizon, like, we're people. We're the people. We're the little people. That big old Verizon stealing our money. You help me, us, get our cause by giving the money back to me. Like, that's, I, she's skilled. She's very skilled and adept at this. And uh, she puts on the speakerphone, and she had called, I don't know how many lawyers are in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, to talk about medical stuff. And she calls, and lo and behold, one of our elders previously at this church, Stephen Lewis, answers the phone for my mom. This is Stephen Lewis. And surely uh, Kyra says, that can't be Stephen Lewis of all the lawyers. And sure enough, it was Stephen Lewis. And, uh, and timing is everything. I mean, he, she ends up at Walmart, you know, the next day, of course, running into him, sharing the story, praying for my, for my, for my mom, and so on and so forth. And so the point is, the point is, is that if the message is making its way to Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth, then it's going to need to go. And it's going to need some feet. And it's going to need some feet that are not staying, but are also going with the Spirit and here's the encouragement that I see on this random Tuesday that Paul and, um, excuse me, Peter and John are walking up to the gate, beautiful, doing what they always do on their normal day is that going is also on the way. And it's not mile by mile to go to the ends of the earth, but it's step by step by step. And I just want to encourage you, if you have a nudge, you don't need a plan. You just need the nudge. You can just take the next step because how many know that the next step is in the next step? And the next step is in the next step after that. And so I know, like, for example, like, just showing up to the Vietnam movie, a meeting for some of you guys, coming to just even consider the idea of opening up your time and your wallet to go out to Vietnam to do um, 
a mission trip this, this coming Christmas. Even that step, if you didn't go, you still heard something, didn't you? You still were moved. And I know there's other trips along the corner, and there's people that are still responding, maybe not an exact way to go to Vietnam or somewhere else, but that, that step is continually moving. And so this is the idea that you can't have acts without action. You can't have movements without moving. And, and there is a step that has to be taken. And so, and so Peter kind of stands up, and as we talked about last time, about the seven sermons and acts, the, the sermons give the meaning to the miracle. The miracle can't just be God's nicer than you think, or it's, he's meaner than you think. The meaning is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so he takes the opportunity in the middle of the miracle to preach the second sermon in Acts, verse 11. This is how he says it. While the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running, running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why, do you, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as though it's, it's our power? Why are you looking at us as though it's our power, power or purity or godliness that has made this man walk? And this is the kicker. This is how you know what he's doing here and what the Spirit's doing. You know what God always says to somebody when they're about to leave somewhere else and go to where they're supposed to go? Hey, remember who I am. You know who I am? I'm not Abraham. I'm not Jacob. I'm not Joseph. I'm the God of Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. And so I need you to look into my eyes and realize, I, I love how much you respect your patriarchs, but I'm the father of your fathers. And the, the, the one that you are following in terms of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your patriarchs, like they were not supposed to point to themselves. They were supposed to point to me. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so really, as you're following those fathers, really, you should be following me. And don't ever take your eyes off of me to look at them. You, you look at me and follow me is what Jesus is saying. So, so the Spirit of God says the same party line, really, in a different time and a different place through Peter to this man. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And you handed him over to be killed. That's the gospel. And you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided uh, to let him go. And you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked the murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead. We are witnesses of this thing. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. And it's not in your name or in the name of the almighty dollar or in the name of credit cards and MasterCards and Visa, but in the name of Jesus that, that man can put his faith, put his eyes and put his faith and, and they will see healing just like this man. Have you ever met somebody that if you gave them $10 in Vegas to make 10 bets, they would make all the wrong bets. Have you ever met somebody who's either so dumb or so unlucky that they just never make the right choice? Have you ever known somebody or been that person? Let's say that if you're a girl, you get into a bad relationship, and as soon as you get out of that bad relationship, you continue to get into the next bad relationship, and the next bad relationship, and the next bad relationship. Or maybe you're in a business relationship and you get into a business relationship and you ever notice how there's some people that life kind of happens to them and they just keep ending up in the same place and you have to stop looking at luck and you have to start looking at yourself. Why do I keep making these bad choices? There's only one common thing, commonality, denominator in all these circumstances and it's in the mirror. And he's saying, y'all are so dumb, you could be on an island with a murderer and a doctor and you would kill the doctor. That's how dumb you are. Over and over and over again. You had the author of life, and you killed him. Talk about poetic irony, English teachers in the room. You killed the author of life. You guys might need some help. And it's not an accident. If I could see the gospel arrows, I mean, this is like back of the napkin, way that the gospel's preached, and he really hones in on the resurrection and the cross, if we have it. But what he's saying is, what happens to you after you die is not separate from what happened to that crippled man. That is the power of the resurrection in your midst. But here's the thing. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. No, everybody wants the tomb. Nobody wants the cross. 
He's saying, and there's a reason why there's a trail of folly behind you as fathers, because it's not an accident. Ten times out of ten, if a person has a chance to look at God for their protection or look at man, ten times out of ten, they're looking at man. Because everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to die. So here's the deal. The reason why man, ten times out of ten, will choose man is because we have a poor dictionary for power. We wouldn't know power if it hit us in the face. Resurrection power is not like man's power. And if you sat down and interviewed a man versus interviewing the spirit, you get two separate answers. You interview a man, a woman, ask them, what does power look like? They would say power is a loud and energetic church. Power is shouting and screaming and high energy and lots of things going on. Maybe it is, but here's the way that the spirit defines power. I think if it's power is really power and it's really the power of the resurrection, it's not an energetic church service. It's meeting a man who's angry and bitter and stuck at 20 that you don't see for 30 years and at 50 somehow the power of the fruits of the Spirit are in his life. That's the power of the resurrection. That somehow he was gossipy and bitter and judgmental and cruel and unkind. And you left him for 30 years and you didn't know what happened to him. All of a sudden you see something completely different in his face. That's the power of God. Man, you ask man, what is power? Man will always say things like, oh, a great energetic leader with a great united cause where everybody says the same thing and wears the same t-shirt. You know what God says is power? People babbling in the spirit with all different languages and diversity because their unity is built on something other than politics. That's what power. You don't know power if it hits you in the face. And man wants to, wants to take its own power and stamp a brand on it, calling it Jesus when it's lacking the power and the contents of the, of the, of the kingdom of heaven. Man sees power as guns and flags and ammunition and, and the next political election. The Spirit sees power as hearts and minds and nurturing and development within the household of the Spirit of God passing on the gospel from one generation to the next through hearts and minds. We wouldn't know power if it hit us in the face. And 10 times out of 10, we would make the wrong bet because we bet on man, but God bets on Jesus. Verse 16, it is Jesus and his name that faith can bring salvation. It is Jesus and no other name, no brand, no political thing, no denomination, no, no other thing. Man, 10 out of 10, will look at man, but the Spirit always looks at Jesus. And so here's the reality. Here's the reality. I want to tell you, this is why I think most of us, for whatever reason, because we're all stuck in some place. We're all stuck. We're all stuck in bitterness. We're all stuck in some old mind frame that we can't get out. And I want to talk to you about this. Like the reason why I believe this passage is saying we're stuck is, yes, because all have fallen short of glory of God and all have sinned. And so one of the things that will be required for us to go and follow Jesus is to repent, is to turn our feet towards Jesus. But here's the second thing that I think that oftentimes we miss. In order to go with Jesus at the gates of Jerusalem, it's not just about leaving behind our sin. It's also about leaving behind our strengths. That Jesus did not just come to heal us of our unrighteousness, but of our self-righteousness. And our belief that our strengths are going to save us, that our right hand can make up for our left hand. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to leave it all behind. You gotta leave the good and the bad, the pretty and the ugly. You gotta leave your left hand and your right hand. You gotta leave all of your sin and all of your strengths, the things that you think are saving you. Because here's reality. The reason why you're stuck in pornography is not just because you have an appetite for sexual things. It's because you believe that your independence and isolation can save you from it. And as long as you're willing to repent of the pornography but not repent of your independence, it won't happen. He is not just saving us from sin, but from our strengths as well. The reason why we continue to get stuck in unforgiveness is because we want to get rid of the unforgiveness, but we won't let go of our self-righteousness. The ability and need to judge everyone else according to our standards of right and wrong, and that's exactly what you're going to get. You can't leave the sin without the strength. He's saying all of it, your left and your right foot, you need both of those to walk. I definitely am somebody who deals with shame and 
did I do enough and did I feel good enough and did I do the right thing and so forth? And that's such a cute little sin, right? To confess, oh, I'm just a little helpless little victim. You know, it's not cute, fear, cute, fear man. Loving you does not mean fearing you over God. And if I fear you over God, I can't love you or fear God at the same time. So my, my liberation is not just in the repentance of sin. It is in the leaving behind of my strengths too. My self-righteousness and the things that I think will save me. That is the limitation. It is, it is looking at man instead of looking at God, asking where God's power is. It's not in me. Gold and silver I have not. I don't know why you're looking at me. I don't know why you're surprised that somebody would be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm a fisherman. I stutter when I talk. I've got nothing to offer you. So the best thing I can tell you is that what you're seeing, it's not for me. Because I'm going to let you down, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to sin against you, and I'm not going to be perfect. But you're not following me. You're following the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're following the one who has no name and has no zip code. So this is the, this is the invitation in verse 17. Fellow Israelites, he says, I know that you acted in ignorance as, you did, as did your leaders. You were just leaders following leaders. You were just following orders. Verse 18, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold to all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I love that in the Bible's dictionary, the thesaurus really, that the synonym of repentance is not regret, it's refreshing. Isn't that true? Two seconds into repentance, we remember that this thing is not about a guilt trip, it's about being healed. It's confessing your sins so that you might not get stuck in the stupid stuff that you think is going to save you and actually might find real healing. And how many of us are just on the inch and the edge of our own healing, but we won't step into it because we love our strength too much? He's saying the connection, the connect the dots, the repentance, it's not regret. It's refreshing. If you want to know what repentance means in the book of heaven, it's to be fresh, to be made new, to be made clean. That he may send the Messiah who's appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore. So there it is. Why do good things happen to bad people and why do some people get healed and some people don't? It's because now it's for refreshing and at the end is for restoration. And in between, we are hobbling through, giving birth to the new creation in our private lives, personal lives, spiritual lives. Some of it happens now. Some of it happens suddenly. Some of it happens later. But there it is. It's refreshing for restoring. Restoring is the end. Refreshing is the now. In the Holy Spirit, we live like sojourners in this place, making this place as much like home as we possibly can, but knowing it's not home. We're being refreshed so that the end would come and restore us, restore all things at the end of time. Verse 22, for Moses said, the Lord our God will raise you up like a prophet before me, and among your own people you must listen to everything that he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. So uh, you guys want to know a little bit about my update. Um, my youngest, Ollie, little cute kid I told you about, the, you know, being sad about the leaves dying or whatever, killed his own dad's toe the other day um, with a 500-pound, I'm over-exaggerating, pottery barn bench at our table. He got up on the bench. Some of the kids were away. No shirt on, classic, right? Just underwear, you know, surfing, just surfing, like surfing on this bench. I'm not paying attention because, you know what I mean, the parents, y'all would be like, this is a scene. Take control, Dad. And I'm like, this is just, you know, this is, I'm water skiing right now. This is exactly what my life is like. So I'm sitting there, and there's a table, so I don't see what happens. I only have a little bit of a purview of, like, what goes on. And by the way, crisis is always worse when you don't know what's going on, right? Like when you're just blindsided. He's surfing like this and flipped the bench topsy-turvy straight on my big toe like this, all, like, 200 pounds of it. And uh, it was like, that somebody said, did I cuss when it happened? I didn't cuss, uh, but 
It was like that silent cry, like when a kid just goes, ah, you know, like it was like a deep, like pain. There was probably some other psychological pain that was coming up out of that, <clears throat> out of that too. I like hobbled. I mean, I couldn't even touch it over to the couch. I could feel my heartbeat all night long through my toes, guys. It was just like, it was so huge. I'm not going to, I'm going to gross you out, but like the skin had, it was just too much toe for skin. It was just so massively, offensively gross. Doing better. God heals all of us cripples, right? And, uh, and so I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. Um, I've been pushing the limit a little bit. I've been doing my squats, you know, at the gym. Uh, I can't, can't take the hooper out of the pastor, right? Like, so I'm in there shooting more than I should. I can't. I'm 40, but I don't believe it. I won't let go. I keep pretending I'm 30. And so, you know, it's maybe taking a little bit longer, but I'm feeling a little bit better. But how many of you guys know, of course, that as I wasn't willing to deal with the weakness uh, part of the healing that I bullied through in my pride and arrogance on my strength. And that some of you guys that have injuries on one limb know that when you walk too much or rely too much on one limb, the other one doesn't necessarily get better as quickly as it should, and you develop a hip problem. So now I'm a 40-year-old guy who keeps playing basketball with a broken toe and a bad hip, you know what I mean? Because there's, there's lack of alignment. And so I, I just say all that to bring this question before you is um, if the Spirit of God in you is here, you are not filled to live a life of risk analysis. You're not here to mitigate your uncontrol. You're not here to comfy up and cozy up. You're not here to stay and get stuck. The prophecy of the passage is that the man was not any worse off than the crowd. The crowd was crippled too. Because unlike the man, the crowd was, was not acknowledging of their crippledness and didn't know to cry out to be saved. And so now the crippled man, ironically, is jumping and leaping while the people of Jerusalem are stuck without the Spirit of God. And Jerusalem is, is only a temporary place. It's a place where the Spirit of God is continuing to move. And so here's just my question. Like, we're all stuck in some way. Like, we're all 50 in one way, but two in another way. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that our spouses and that we and that our friends and neighbors, like, we're, we can be so mature and competent and, and experienced in one way, but then completely immature in another way. And we're not meant to be stuck. I mean, here's the reality. Stasis is it. Myth anyways. Like, if you meet somebody in 30 years, they're going to be different. The question is, how are they going to be different? How are they going to be changed? And the Spirit of God is to move us towards and with and like and for Jesus. And so this is the question I, I, I may have you consider this morning if we really let the passage speak to us is, is, where are you stuck? But the second question is, how do you think maybe you're stuck, not because of your sin, but because of your strengths? Because you need to smile when you're not happy and redirect attention of your weakness with your humor because that's what you've always done. And you're so funny, but you're so hurt. And you choose your brokenness with success rather than humility and healing. And maybe it's not your sin, but it's your strengths that are keeping you stuck. I know COVID for me um, <laughs> was uh, just monumental in, in my personal life. Like, I'm here a pastor. I'm like, I can't. I don't have enough time to 
read the scripture. I had enough time in COVID, I'll tell you that much. I had enough time to read the Bible every day. And I had this thing, you know, I was like, I'm going to be, you know, I read all these history books. I'm going to read the Bible like it's a history book, and I'm just going to get through the chapters, and I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I mean, you guys sign up in January. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Can I just tell you, as a pastor, I've never read the Bible in a year. That's too much reading. I can't do it. I don't know. Maybe you guys are faster readers than me. But I can read a chapter a day. And the COVID process had to shake things up a little bit and put me on my back and make me frustrated and isolated enough to lay down my strength in a way. I've been married since um, I've been 21 years old. And in many, many ways, I've realized being a high school sweetheart and being married at 21 and having little Rose at, at 22 is that sometimes you can be 17 years into marriage but still act like you're 21 years old. And some of the common ways that we did, enter, we've done entertainment and rest and, and money, it's not bad, it's just not now. It's just old. And it's, it's taken some of my stubbornness to hold on to an old way that I rest, an old way that I exercise, an old way that I think, an old way that I talk, in many ways to find new things that God is doing in my marriage. Where are you stuck? Where are the places that you seem like I've tried it a million different ways, but there's, there's, there's no health, there's no healing? And of course, the answer is, let's call on the name of Jesus. But consider maybe that instead of you know, sticking your strong hand towards Jesus and asking God to use your strength, consider putting the weak hand forward. Consider to put the, the broken place forward and to lead with your weakness and to lead with your brokenness and to lead with your confession. Maybe that is where we'll find uh, the power of God in Christ Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.